0: Well, as we begin this morning, I just invite you, if you've got your wallet handy or your purse, pocketbook, uh, maybe your phone, I use it to pay for a lot of things. You've got Apple Pay, Google Pay. Uh, Take out something that maybe represents money. Maybe, Maybe there's a little bit of change in the couch where you're sitting. And I wanna ask you a question. What you're holding in your hand, the thing that represents money, do you see money as a tool or as a drug? And I know that may seem like an absolute crazy comparison, but an article was written a few years ago by a couple professors from the University of Exeter really asking this question, And they suggested that most often we think, we look at money like a tool. It's something useful to help us. And we use it that way. I mean, we would much rather pay our our doctor bill with money than going with a few goats or paying the electrician with chickens. We use money as a tool, but we often think about it as a drug because we don't think of money in the same way we think of all our other tools. I mean, I have a number of hammers at home and I don't think about how many hammers I have or do I have enough hammers or I don't worry about them. I'm not in the hammer acquiring business thinking, do I need more and do I have to have more? My identity isn't in my hammers or screwdrivers or other tools. Uh, But sometimes we feel that with money. It's like, do we have enough? Do we want more? Uh, Maybe we find our identity and how much we have or what our money can do. When someone asks to borrow a hammer or a saw, I don't really think twice about it. And uh, I'm not worried if they don't return it, really. But if someone asks me for money, I think about it. And I'm worried about, are they going to give it back to me? And, And what often happens is we think of money as a drug, we wanna use it as a tool, but if we think about it as a drug. But the early church didn't see it that way. They somehow were released from seeing money as a god or as a drug, and they used it as a tool. And when you surrender money to our Heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit empowers it, something incredible happens. This is what we read about in the church in Acts 2, verse 42 says, they, the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. In fact, a couple chapters later, it says that no one among them had a need. That somehow there was this rich generosity in the church. No one had a need. And everyone like was in awe of what God was doing. And somehow I think that Holy Spirit awe was centered around some of the generosity. We talked about that last week with hospitality, but with generosity. And the early church didn't see money as a drug. They used it as a tool for the kingdom, surrender to God. And today we're finishing up our series, We the Church. We've been talking just about the various aspects of the church. It's a worshiping community, a learning community, a family together. It's a powerhouse in the city and and in the world. And today we want to just and with just this thought about the generosity and the power of generosity, and look at three principles that really helped the church move from seeing money as a drug to seeing it as a tool. But before we go there, I wanna talk a minute about the wall. And you know, this invisible wall, that, that always seems to come up whenever we talk about money. And and I know some of you, particularly online, it may be tempting just to kind of fast forward or to turn it off, uh, but we all have a wall, let's be honest. When someone talks to us about money, when they try to sell something, when they get us to part with our money, there's there's a little bit of guarded wall. And when we were younger, I do not know, you know, most of us kind of learned that in polite company, you didn't talk about religion or sex or politics or, or money. There were certain money questions you wouldn't ask people. But Jesus, you know, never got that memo from his parents. In fact, he talked more about money than almost any other topic, because I think he knew that it wasn't a tool for us, that it was like a drug. It was a God. It was something we had to have more of. And he saw person after person who who would exchange financial peace for almost anything else. He saw what the love of money can do. And he would challenge us on money. And sometimes people go, oh, the poor pastor, like, oh, he's gotta talk about money. He's gotta raise funds. He's gotta do that. That's not it at all. And there was a time in my life I didn't like to teach about money. I didn't like to teach what the scripture said about it. And that's a period in my life when to to be honest and I'm embarrassed, I I wasn't generous. I wasn't giving, I was kind of keeping everything to myself. And once you see just the powerful principles of generosity and, and what God does in the midst of that, like, you want to talk about it. I'm not embarrassed to talk about it. I want to share these principles that are real life and are life-changing. When we see money as a tool, surrender to God and empowered by the Holy Spirit, man, there is awe. So I want to talk about three things uh, that helped the early church discover that money was really a tool. The first is just simply this, that they understood that everything belongs to God. God owns it. We live under the illusion that we own everything and it's our stuff and it's ours. But the reality in scripture, the most freeing principle is that it's not ours, but that it's God's. In Psalm 24, verse 1, David says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, everything in it, the world and all those who dwell in there, that's God's. It belongs to him and that we live alive when we think, oh, it's my money, I gotta hoard my money, I gotta have my money, it's it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. We are stewards, it's God's, and it's so much more freeing to say, oh, that's, God. that's God's house, that's God's car, that, that's God's money, I'm here just to be the best steward of it, and it's absolutely freeing. Now, in the Old Testament, God says this to the Israel as they were entering into the promised land. They had been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. Moses through the exodus, let them out. They were getting ready to enter the promised land, and God's telling them how to live, like how to live well. You're getting to start over as a new nation. Here's how you live. And in Deuteronomy 14, he says this, you shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field, Year by year, every year, give some. And before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell, there you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine and your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And uh, so this was kind of a unique uh, occasion. In some ways, they were going into this land. God was going to set up certain places where they were to worship and celebrate and remember him. They were going to go and have a festival. He later on talks about giving to support the, the community, the church, uh, to to support the people in the church, everyone that was there. But he says this, I want you to learn to tithe why at the end of verse 23, so that you will know that he is the Lord, your God that the way that we know that God is God the way that we know that he owns everything the way that we understand and trust his power is that we give the first to him we're to give the uh, the first of our time in the sabbath to him we're to give uh, the first of a, the first fruits of all that we earn and we have that it somehow belongs to him it's a way that shows that he is God because something gets our money first Right, so there's something in our life, our, our first goes to and maybe the mortgage and whatever is kind of probably first is probably what's God, what's controlling our life. Is it our mortgage, is it our savings? Is it, no, it's retirement, I, I'm, I'm concerned about retirement. Maybe it's uh, a child support payment, maybe it's an alimony payment, whatever kind of is first Controls you, and you can have a mortgage control you, you can have a bank account control you, you can have a a savings plan control you, you can have a debt control you, or God. And God's saying, I'm the best master. And that when we give and when we're generous, it reminds us that God owns it, reminds us that there is God, reminds us to honor Him. Sometimes people say, Hey, but Pastor Terry, I want more faith. How do I get more faith? Well, you do what the scriptures say. You start having a Sabbath, taking a break. You start giving. You start trusting God. You start doing that. If you give and are generous, right, generous with what we have, it reminds us that he's the Lord our God. You know, when my kids were really, really young, they'd get candy. And every once in a while, we had this candy bowl uh, in a in our cupboard for a while. And, you know, on special occasions or uh, when something happened or celebrate, we'd bring it down. And uh, uh, so sometimes my kids love Skittles. So we'd get a package of Skittles for them. And, and I would remember, like, they would have their Skittles. And I'd say, hey, to one of them, like, can I have a couple? And of course my said, kids said, oh, our great and loving Father, yes, of course. You can have the whole thing. They're all yours. So you can have them. Not, whenever I said, hey, can I have a couple of Skittles? They say, mine. Right, they're mine. Like, I want to take them. They're mine. And uh, they lived under this illusion they're mine because they they didn't realize some things. They didn't realize, no, they're not theirs. They're mine because I'm the one who paid for it, went to the store, got them, put them in the cupboard. They're not them. They're mine. And in reality, I'm bigger and more powerful than them. If they didn't want to give me some, I could just reach in and take it. I mean, I could shove them off the chair. I could do whatever that I could get those Skittles, that's me. And in reality, I could go and buy way more Skittles for myself. I could buy more Skittles imaginable uh, for those kids. But what do they say? They're mine. And in similar way, don't we do that? That we think, oh, it's all mine. And yet it really comes from God. It's a gift from Him. God can come and take it anytime He wants. God can bless us with more or take it And God owns so much more than what we have. So let me ask you, whatever you're holding, is it a tool or a drug? And one way you know it's a tool is that it's not yours, it's God's, it belongs to Him. And maybe just in this moment, you need to say, hey God, this is yours, I surrender it. I don't wanna be controlled by it anymore. Second thing the early church learned is that generosity was the very best way to live. That generosity was just the most powerful way that we could live. And so we see throughout the scripture the call and the call and the call to people to live generous lives. And in the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, it says this in Malachi three, it says, will a man rob God in verse eight? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How can we rob you? Well, in your ties and contributions. You're cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more, I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine, and the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts." And here God, I and mean, you have to understand, he's writing to Israel you know, for 500 years before Jesus in a very difficult time. Israel was not prosperous, was not doing well. It was kind of war-torn. Uh, it is in the process of being rebuilt, but it was not easy. Many of the Israelites, they were scattered. They were really political prisoners uh, under different regimes. I mean, it'd be very much like writing to people in Turkey or the Ukraine today. And these are not people who have lots of money. And God says, hey, the very best way is just to give, to be generous, to remember that I am your God. And so here God gives kind of like a warning. He gives a blessing and then he gives a challenge. The warning, first of all, is he, he says, you're robbing me. And uh, it seems kind of like violent, harsh. I mean, it's uh, that you are like taking money from God, you're stealing from Him, you're cooking the books, you're doing all sorts of things. And people are like, hey God, like that's crazy. Like how can we rob you? How can we do that? And and God says, you're you're robbing me. And it's the simple way that, that you're not generous, that you're not living with the mindset of generosity. And you begin to wonder, well, how could you do that? Well, you're using stuff for yourself. You're more worried about having enough for yourself and you're not generous. You're not giving the first to remind everyone that I'm God. And if you don't do that, you're gonna forget that I'm God. And the same thing happens to us. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I can go to Costco and come out with spending less than $100, like that's a good day. Like that's a huge, celebration because it seems every time it's like way more money I end up spending way more money than what I wanted and all of a sudden you know you're picking up an extra thing of toilet paper you've got a new a lamp you bought a table I, I mean new tires like you can come out and all of a sudden you get in your car and you go how am I going to pay for that right I didn't plan I didn't budget to spend this much money how am I going to pay for that and then well, it sees it's like oh well maybe a, Maybe I just won't be generous. Maybe I won't give to God. Maybe I won't be giving generous to others. I'll just use that money to pay this bill. Or maybe I'm sure this happened in in the Old Testament times that someone would strike it rich. They get a a big deal, you know, like maybe they'd sell some cryptocurrency, and you know, all of a sudden you're a millionaire, or an IPO goes and you've got lots of money, or you sell your business and you've got more than you ever thought. And you sit down to kind of write a check, and you say, okay, yeah, God gets the first, and then you look at the amount and you think ten percent or a tithe of that or generosity of that, like. Who who can afford that? Well, you can't afford that because you just got money. But I'm not going to write a check that big. I don't care who's on the throne. I'm not going to write a check that big. And if God has a problem with it, well, have his people call my people. And all of a sudden, we're like, oh, keep a little more. And God says, you're just robbing me. You're just robbing me. Because you're not being generous. You're not giving the first to me. And with that warning, then God gives a blessing. He says, you can either have a curse business or a blessed business. You can have kind of a curse life or, or a blessed life. And he said, the curse life is when you kind of take stuff for yourself, like where it's really for yourself, the blessed is when you're generous. And notice what he says there, at, at the end of that section, he says, and I will keep the devourer away from you. How does God work in our finite? He keeps the devourer away. And, and I don't know, but I, I pray a lot about that. And I see in scripture, you know, when Israel was wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, they'd escaped Egypt before they went to, to their Canaan, which is modern day Israel. Uh, they wandered for 40 years. And I love the line. It says that their shoes did not wear out. That was kind of like God's, but the devourer didn't come and their shoes didn't wear out. And I'll tell you, I pray that a lot. Pray for my vehicles, for my home, for lots of things. that Oh, that that wouldn't wear out. And there's something about trusting God with the first that he helps us with the rest. And he helps us navigate and spend well what's there. And even in just the discipline of saying, okay, God, you're the God of the first part. And I'm then gonna invite you in to the rest of it. Help me steward this well. I'm doing my part by giving to you, help me steward this well. And where's this blessing where God says, I'm gonna protect, that's gonna happen. And then there's a challenge. God says here, do you notice? He says, test me in this, try me, like test me. Like he starts, hey, you know, you're, you're taking money from me, You you know, you can have a blessed and a cursed business, but just test me. Test. It's the only time in Scripture. It's the only thing that God says. Test him in this. Is are we going to be generous with that? Are we going to give, and be generous with what we have, and trust of what God's going to do? And God says here, give. You know, bring the full tithe. Bring that to the storehouse. Now, in the Old Testament tithe, we typically think of as 10%, that the tithe is really the first 10th. God talks a lot about the first 10th. Actually, there are some people who look at all the tithing structure in the Old Testament and it might come out to more like 23 or 4%, but they used a lot of that also as kind of their social services and to help people. But we often think uh, of a tithe as a 10th. And I know sometimes that's a hard place for people to start and that's maybe a hard place to get to and would always challenge people, you just start where you can. Start being generous and then keep trusting. And maybe there are some people where a 10th, that's that's like nothing. And it's not a matter of faith. And, and giving a 10th doesn't remind you that, oh, God's God, I'm trusting in God. And, and so I encourage you, just always kind of keep growing your generosity. It says, bring it to the storehouse. Now, I think the storehouse is kind of the place where you often get your spiritual food and teaching and, and many times consider that the church, but you look at what your storehouse is. I don't want people to think, oh, he's just trying to manipulate me to, to give to the church. I want you to experience the blessing of generosity and the principle of God. And the thing that keeps us from that is that we have a hard time saying a word. We have a hard time saying enough. Oh, that's enough, right? That I have, oh, enough tools. I have enough square footage in my house. I have enough horsepower in my car. I have enough food. I have enough vacations. I have enough leisure. I have enough in my wardrobe. I have enough. Because when we see money as a drug, it's like we want a little bit more. There's a bit more security. And so one of the challenges, Paul again again says, learn to be content, to say, oh, it's okay. I have enough. I don't have to keep up with the Joneses. I don't have to keep trying. I don't have to find my identity. You see, there was something about the early church. You know, what's fascinating is is how Acts opens with the church praying and then what the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And people thought that they were what? Drunk, intoxicated. They were drunk, intoxicated, overwhelmed with the spirit of God, not intoxicated with money. And when you see that God is more than enough, He is more than enough, then you can say enough and you say, oh, money is not my drug, it's a tool. The third thing is that the early church, they hungered and they longed for what the scripture would say is like a harvest of righteousness for good things to happen. Now, sometimes we look at scripture and we get this all a little bit mixed up. And, and sometimes you hear people or people just like, oh, if you give, then you're going to get. Like if you invest 50, God's going to bless you with more. If you give here, it's going to do that. And, and that's not really scripture. We call that prosperity theology, which is not really, I don't think, biblical yet. There is always a kernel of truth, and there is a principle. Our God's Malachi says it here in Malachi there, there is a blessing. There's something that comes from being generous, and it's not more money to spend on yourself. There's way more than that. And Paul writes about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. He says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God's able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. For it's written, he is distributed freely, he's given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he says in verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, who's that's God, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase what, the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way so that through us, it will produce a thanksgiving to God. And so here is Paul, he again is writing to people who are really having some financial challenges and and he's taking up an offering actually for the poor in Jerusalem. He says, hey, can you give that to the church in Jerusalem because they're trying to help uh, those who are struggling there. And and, and Paul says that there are a couple different benefits or rewards from giving. The first is, he says you will get more seed. He says you will give And when you plant your sow, he's gonna increase what? Your seed, he will increase that. And what is seed? It's what we keep planting and doing. You see, here's often what we think. Oh, if I give, if I plant, then I'm gonna get more money for myself. And if I'm generous to someone, then I'm gonna get something. And uh, Paul here says, no, no, no. You don't get more for yourself, You get more to plant and sow. What is the seed that you get? You get more to be generous with. And so there is this principle, you see it throughout scripture, that we reap what we sow, that what we plant and do, there comes something from it. And Paul here says that when we plant and when we sow, when we're generous, what do we get? We get more seed. We get more to be generous with. Anything that comes back to us isn't necessarily for us to go, oh, look at what me, what I got. It's us to be more generous with. Now, I grew up on a farm, my dad was a farmer, and often he would complain about the price of fuel, or he'd complain about the price of rent of land, or he'd complain about the, uh, the cost of tractors or whatever. I never though heard him complain about the price of seed, because he knew the power of seed. That when you plant seed, it comes back to you so much more. And here, Paul reminded, he says, when you give, you're not getting more to make you feel rich or powerful. You're getting so that you can continue on to be more than generous. Secondly, he says, there is a blessing of righteousness, of righteousness. Now, sometimes, I don't know if you've seen this, like you, you see people who, uh, you know in their instagram or facebook they do kind of like hashtag blessed you know and they're standing by their new car oh hashtag blessed or you know they're on the beach somewhere and they're like hashtag blessed and i think well that's nice for them and that's good and i like cars and i like vacation but is that the real blessing is like that's a pretty shallow blessing is there something far deeper far more far richer you want god to do and paul says here When we plant, when we're generous, we will reap what? A harvest of righteousness. What's righteousness? It's that right things happen. It's that we don't make mistakes. We live in right things. We make good things happen. And Paul here says, this is the promise. I mean, isn't that what we want? That we want people to respond to us with character. We want people to treat us well. We wanna be able to do that. We wanna be known for our integrity. We wanna see good things happen. We see this a little bit in the the story of Job, who had been a generous person and everything was taken away because sometimes that happens. But then God does more and God rewards, God builds back. God brings and and he experiences some right things happening in his life. And sometimes we wonder like why aren't things, what is it? And Paul says we reap what we sow. We sow righteous things, we sow God first and watch what happens. The third thing we see is just generosity, is is joy. There's a joy in generosity. He, He talks about here that God loves what, a cheerful giver. Actually, the Greek word is hilario, which really means God loves a hilarious giver. He loves a person that's joyful. And I can tell you, every time I speak on, on money, that the people who are generous and who give, and the people who tie this, like you tell them, like you tell them, pastor, like tell them that that's the best way to live. The people who are a little, have the walls go up or the people's like, yeah, I'm not sure I can be generous. There's something about living a generous life that's joyful. And the early church in in Acts chapter four, that's what it says, no one among them had need. Can you imagine the joy of that? Not a need. Don't you want to be part of a church where people were generous? Not a need. And it said they lived in awe. They were amazed. They did that. Now, the reason we don't trust this, the reason the wall goes up, the reason we see money often like a drug is fear. Right? We're afraid. We're afraid, oh, we won't have enough. We're afraid God won't come through. We're we're afraid. And I know that. There are times that I've lived that. I I understand those financial concerns. Jesus addressed that. He says in the gospel, in Luke chapter uh, 11, in verse 13, he says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? How much more? I love that word, that word much. Don't you like much? We don't want little, we want much. I years ago had a little red sports car. Um, It had much horsepower. I'll tell you, it got the best gas mileage at 160 kilometers an hour. And I'm embarrassed to say it, but I drove it a lot that way. It had much horsepower. When I go to a restaurant and I order a meal, personally, I don't want one of those little fancy, you know, kind of contemporary cuisine things, which like few little pieces on a plate, though they're nicely plated. I want much, I want like a T-bone steak. I want, I want much. And we have a God of much right? He created this whole world. He created Adam and Eve. He, he made us, it says, he made us in his image. That's much. He made us, as a little lower than the angel. It says that he crowned us with glory. He gave us much. He put Adam and Eve in a garden and he said, you can have all of this, like eat of all of these trees, eat of the muchness of the planet. Just not these two, but what does Satan do? Satan gets us to say, oh, let's focus on what we can't have, instead of the muchness. You see, we don't focus on the muchness. We focus on the lack. And God says, how much more? Like, I'm a much more God. And, And we see throughout the scriptures, God did that. He did much. He did much more for David. David wanted to build a temple. God says, I'm gonna give you a family line, a name that's gonna last Forever, that Joseph, in the old sense, wanted, like, had a dream. Oh, my family's going to honor and respect me. It's like nations honored and respected him. Ruth, she just wanted some food and lodging overhead. God gave her a, a new family. God gave her more. And can I tell you, when you're generous, God gives much. And I can remember a time years ago, we were doing a campaign at a church and we were just challenged to give and I, I, we were giving and we were generous and we're like, okay, God's calling us to give more and we believe God was calling us to give more and we thought, how we're gonna do this? How's God gonna come through? And then the next day, like after we, we did that, like it was really like the next day Um, My wife and and daughter, Jenna, they were uh, doing some therapy and uh, we were looking for a different wheelchair for Jenna and couldn't find it. It was one that wasn't covered by insurance. It was something a little extra and crazy or not, it was like seven or eight thousand dollars. And they were doing some therapy over in another town, miles and miles away. And in the waiting room, they met someone. They somehow got talking about this who said, oh, I saw that exact same wheelchair at Goodwill for like 50 bucks and the goodwill was like a mile from my house. And Chantel calls and I went, we picked up this wheelchair. It was like a gift. We brought it home. It looked brand new. It didn't look uh, hardly wore. And it was like, we had a celebration. We had a party because we thought there's the muchness of God. We trusted God and God provided. And God provides in ways that we don't even think. So I invite you just to think where, if, first of all, are, are you in some way robbing God? Like I... I said, you've gotta do business with that. I'm not asking, don't, don't look at me for guilt, but you, between you and God, are you living a generous life? And do you know the muchness and the blessing that will come? And people may say, oh, the church needs money. I mean, these are our lean months, like March kind of through till, November is kind of more the October, more kind of the leaner months. We have a little bit that you gave for us from December uh, to get us through, and we'll let you know uh, if we're going to need more uh, in the next couple months. But so far, we're able to kind of keep on and and keep within budget and doing that. And thank you for your generosity and your ability uh, to do that. And please don't uh, forget us, we continue to uh, uh, do our online ministry and we're changing that up in a few months as we get some things ready here and train some people. We wanna be generous uh, to others. There's some ministries that we would like to start. We're praying for uh, you know 100 people at Alpha uh, come this coming season. That's a lot to provide for, but we believe God wants us to reach this community and we want to be generous to our town. And so I just invite you just to take a moment. We just wanna give you an update. I just wanna invite some people from the Scott Mission here as we give you an update about what's gonna happen with our Scott Mission. Well, I'm privileged to be here with Peter Durasami, who's the president and CEO of the Scott Mission. And we're very excited about developing this partnership. Uh, with the great organization that you lead and to really help people in our community with food insecurity. But I know, Peter, that you're very busy at the mission. And so, would you mind just sharing with us some of the things that are happening there?
1: Pastor Jerry, thank you so much for having us. I, I feel so privileged, and, and, and this is God working. Mm. You know, I always think of Psalm 33 1, where The Bible says how good and pleasant it is when brothers live in unity. And I see as we live in unity, as we come together, there's an oil that's Mm. being poured. Scott Mission, a little bit about Scott Mission, uh, it's a beautiful place. I've been there for 33 years. Uh, It's been uh, there for 81 years. Uh, It's helped the most needy people in our city, in right downtown Toronto, whether it's homeless people, whether it's families, uh, there's about 5,000 families coming from all across the city, whether it's children who need to go to camp or it's a daycare, after school program, and the list goes on. And uh, that's what Scott Mission is all about. Uh, Pastor Terry, when we celebrated our 75th anniversary, that's when the board and the management looked at and said, what will, it be, what will it look like when we celebrate our 100th anniversary? So we went on a strategy to look at the next 25 years and, and see what it looks like. And out of that came four basic objectives, especially the first two objectives where uh, the first one was uh, taking care of the basic needs and which we're good at. We've done it for 81 years. And so let's enhance our basic needs. And the second one was a whole transformational journey. How do I take a homeless man who's homeless, to become completely healed and back into the community. So this was a journey and and, and this triggered a whole lot of changes at Scott Mission. We started enhancing and the hub and spoke model came in. Let me try and explain that. You know, Scott Mission has been in downtown Toronto for 81 years and people from all across the city, about nearly 5,000 families, have come to the uh, downtown location. For me, it's like Acts 1-8 where it came in and he said, you shall be my witnesses, the Holy Spirit shall fall upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. And Acts chapter two, that dispersal starts taking place all across Jerusalem And Acts chapter 10, it disperses all the way to Judea and Samaria. And and to some extent, the question became under the hub and spoke models, how can you touch the remaining part of the city? How can there be us not just being centered in downtown Toronto, but how can we have the spokes, the different groups of people? We could have different locations, but can we create spokes and other churches, other, other organizations or we ourselves being present there to touch, whether it's a school, whether it's a community. And that's where the Hub and Spoke model was birthed. And God gave us a beautiful building in the West End, which we can, you know, where we can, uh, you know, sort our foods and uh, bring in our groceries. And and we get so much of good, so much of uh, food and clothing and, and, and household items that's coming in so we can sort it well. And then we can disperse it and ultimately see the city being touched, the most needed people in the city being touched through this hub and spoke model.
0: So you're in the process of doing more downtown, opening up the the hub where all the food and everything for distribution, and then we're talking about potentially being one of those spokes, right, to help distribute those food uh, to people in this area who have need. What
1: excites you about that particular partnership? So many things. I I, I love what Baby Glen stands for. I love what you guys are already doing in your community and, and, and us coming together. It's literally uh, two like-minded people coming together, two organizations who are so uh, God-centered coming together. But in a practical sense, I, I'd mentioned about 5,000 families coming from all across the city. And there's a whole bunch of families coming from this community, from the north end of our city. There's a whole lot of people coming in. Can you imagine those people coming and and the church coming and you, they becoming part of your community. And not just food and clothing, which is amazing, and that'll open the door, but into a transformational journey that they are in. And that's what excites me. It's just it's just so beautiful that this can happen in the partnership.
0: Yeah, I think that's our prayer is not only just food or clothing distribution, but that we build relationships, we connect with people, we share Jesus, we invite them into uh, you know, a life of faith and a journey with Jesus and that we can do that together and partnering with that. And we know that that's the heartbeat of the Scott mission. That's what excites us about this partnership is your commitment to yeah. the gospel and the good news of Jesus. What are th- ways I- in the next short while that people at Bayview can get involved and connected? I know many of them, they're waiting. What's, okay. what's uh, next?
1: In many ways, I, I'm going to sort of make it Uh, pre-summer and post-summer, if I can make it easy for uh, all of us to understand. And I'm bringing this because of uh, till the summer, uh, we are so involved in getting the hub ready. The hub is gonna be ready by uh, May or so, and then we gotta move in, we have gotta establish. So I'm looking at pre-summer, what can be done? And and post-summer, how can we launch in a much bigger way? And in the pre-summer, I'm thinking, Pastor Terry, three specific things that we can get into. Uh, one is, uh, the whole, the, the beautiful house that you have. And, you know, how can we start talking and helping each other right. in, uh, you know, how do the clients, what will be the flow of the clients and how can that best be done? How can the trucks come in with the deliveries and how can that happen? And we've done that in a large scale so we can come and help and, and wherever you need help, we can come right. in and walk that through. Uh, the second thing is, this is a huge aspect of, uh, getting the community in, and we've done this for many, many years. We've got a good ID system. We've got a software system. We have policies in place. We know health and safety issues that take place. So uh, we would love to get uh, people from the congregation to come and volunteer at the mission. And in the aspect of volunteering in the next few months, you can be trained, and we can have specialized people who are good at this and good at that. We can bring them together, and so they can really see before they launch here, what does it look like to run a food bank. What does it look like? Out, what are the uh, pitfalls? that we need to avoid and what are the great things that's happening. So I think in the aspect of training, the second thing we can get into the aspect of training. And the third thing is I think we can start a pilot. It's a, it's a small pilot, you know, of uh, distributing food and uh, clothing, especially food, packed food, that you all can come and pick up from Scott Mission, bring it here and start distributing it to the community. So it's really like a pilot program. So I'm excited. Those three things can happen pre-summer uh, past today. And post-summer, uh, I think there's going to be a few months we nearly need to put our heads together, come together, and see how can we launch, uh, possibly in the fall, uh, how can we launch that? So post summer, we can get into the, the bigger right. aspect. So we're developing the partnership slowly, working at, uh, with you, where you, with all
0: the busyness that you're at. So uh, helping us retrofit the building to get it best ready. Yes. Uh, we'll be inviting you to, to take training or to serve, at the scott mission really it's a hands-on training that's yeah. the best way uh in the next few months i know many of you have signed up uh, you can still go to our website and sign up to be a part if you want and find out more about that training and then uh early summer we hope to begin some food distribution in a smaller scale but groceries that we can give and invite and already begin to bring people here well we're really excited peter thank you for being willing to partner with us and we're just believing that God has great things Amen. for our city. Amen. Um, can I just pray for us yes, and, yes, and yes. for people this morning, we've been talking about generosity and the call to be generous. So Lord, I thank you for just uh, Peter and the Scott mission and all that they do. And Father, we ask that your blessing would be upon them as they finish new buildings, as they move, as they begin their hub and spoke model. We just pray that you would give them wisdom and discernment and openness in our city. We pray for us as we partner together. We pray for our city. We pray that we would see fewer people hungry. We pray that we would see more people home in homes. And Father, we just ask that your hand would be upon us and that we would see people come to know Jesus. Lord, make us generous people in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great morning. Thank you, Peter. Okay. thank you. <laughs>